This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of 21 for 21, 21 lessons for sport media in the 21st century. We are now over, well over halfway of our, our little target of 21 episodes of our, our podcast series my name is jamie coles i'm a sports journalist and i'm joined as ever by stuart levy who's a sports marketer stuart how are we this week yeah i'm all good all good thanks jamie no you're right we've been uh messaging during the week of how to how, how to extend it how to how to keep going what next so thank you to everyone who's been been listening and, and, and supporting so far it's been it's been a great experience and yeah it's this first first batch is is well, well, well over halfway done, so it's been really nice. Yeah, we've we've nice, really nice gone to the swing. Months. We've gone to the swing of it. And we've we've been fortunate to speak to some really interesting people, and it, now twenty one seems a bit short, really. Like for us, it seemed like a an ambitious but achievable target, and now we're we're well over halfway. And it's like, whoa, the end's in sight. I'm not sure I'm ready for this to end yet. <laughs> yeah, I know it will be, it'll be strange. I mean, I've, we've been obviously publishing every Saturday, so yeah, it's almost we've got too much information. So yeah, there will be a Christmas and New Year's Day episode, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see what we can do. We can Christmas is fast week. approaching. It's end of November already. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of uh, the guests that we've been lucky to speak to, and, and I do consider us very fortunate to have been able to speak to some wonderful people. Today we are joined by a football translator and interpreter. He's worked at some impressive clubs uh, all over the place. Um, Ronan Molt is joining us for episode 12 of 21 for 21. Ronan. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Uh, how's everything? Where, where are you now? Because I've been looking. You've been in Spain and you've been... Are you, are you back in the UK now? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been sort of dot, dotted around a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I sort of spent a period out yeah, out in Spain. Uh, but, yeah, currently back back home, back in the UK. So, uh, so yeah. Do you want to sort of... It, I've introduced you very briefly as a, a football translator interpreter. Do you want to give us a bit of a, a rundown of kind of who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um, yeah. So no, uh, your sort of uh, description was uh, your, your your definition was was pretty accurate there. Really. Yeah. So my my work um, is really all sort of very uh, very heavily related to football, really, and 
currently at the moment it's mainly um sort of the the bulk of my work is really in translation um so football translation that could be uh, web content so translating web content for example for clubs um associations organizations governing bodies for example um and also sort of increasingly doing quite a lot of work in terms of social media so translating um social media content again for clubs or perhaps even individual coaches or uh, or, or players indeed um so yeah um in terms of the work that i do so it's typically sort of text translation as I mentioned their web and social media do also do some audio translation as well so typical sort of pre-match post-match um interviews um should say as well that my, my working languages are are french and spanish um so obviously um sort of always translating um towards towards my native uh, native english so yeah that's uh, that's sort of uh, in a nutshell pretty much uh, pretty much what I, what i do yeah <laughs> Sorry, just just to because I know that Jamie has done some uh, translations himself. So for for my just for my background and and the background uh, the benefits sorry of others. So translation, being a translator, being an interpreter. What what is what what is the difference in uh, in layman's terms? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I should have uh, should have made that clear. So yeah, so translation deals with uh, the written word. Uh, so I was mentioning there, um, you know, sort of uh, text really that's in in a website form. So I'd receive the text, uh, perhaps in Spanish or French, and then it'd be a case of uh, translating. So translating the written word and producing an, a written English version um, of that of that text. Um, whereas interpreting deals with the the spoken word. Um, so that's typically sort of in the context of football, where you, where you see it most often really is in 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 the player interviews, manager interviews, the press conferences. Um, that's really where where interpreting mainly mainly takes place. Okay, that's uh, yeah, really interesting. You said it was always from Spanish or French to English. Mm. Okay, that's the, that's the same. Do you, do you get these requests where people say, well, can you do can just translate this to sort of Spanish? And yeah, yeah, sure. Sometimes. And um, yeah, I mean, I think any any sort of translator will tell you that you should, you know, always, you know, stick to your guns and, and make it very clear that, you know, I suppose regardless really of how competent you are in the foreign language, um, nothing really beats, I think, the, you know, the native, the, the, the sound really of a native, uh, a native, native speaker, really. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, having said that, sometimes in interpreting jobs, um, you do actually interpret bilaterally. So um, I've done that in the past, sort of where I'd perhaps be working with a football coach, for example. So the journalists uh, attending a press conference would ask the question and they'd obviously ask the question in English. So it'd be a case of me, um, you know, if the manager didn't have a very good command of English, um, it would then be, I'd be interpreting that in Spanish for for, for his or, or, or her, um, for, for them really. Okay, so in terms of, um, you mentioned a lot of the work in, in football and for football management, so you must be a, a big fan of football, so if you happen to translate, um, why did you switch to 3-5-2 with attacking wing-backs today, you have to know what 3-5-2 with attacking wing-backs wing are, <laughs> is, that, is that important or is that just me, me assuming it's, it's important? No, no, definitely. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that. That really is uh, really is important. I mean, there's um, 
uh, you know, if it's of interest, there's been quite a lot of articles written um, sort of in recent years about sort of a little bit more of the theory behind sort of translating and interpreting in football. Um, and, and one article, which I think is actually uh, named uh, Football is Coming Home to Die Hard, uh, die hard Fans. Uh, I think the, the whole sort of the crux really of that article is uh, basically that in order to be a football translator you really do need to be a die-hard fan um, and one thing certainly yeah as you mentioned I, I, I am incidentally a uh, and, and always have been really a massive massive football fan um, and one of the things that in terms of sort of preparing for assignments so be that interpreting assignments or, or, or translation jobs one of the things is that you know preparation is really um, I won't say I don't have to do any preparation, but, you know, as long as I'm keeping in touch with the latest trends in football, you know, the latest players, nicknames, things like that, really, and making sure that I'm on, uh, I'm, I'm on top of that. So, you know, essentially, that's not really, I don't really consider that to be to be work. <laughs> do you have any process when you, you're preparing for, um, and I can give, I can give a, an experience, one of my experiences, I'm, sure. Ronan and I connected through, through translating. As it were, mm. I published a, a a post about something that I translated, and and Ronan sort of commented, and from there we got talking, and I was like, ah, oh, he'd be great for the podcast. So sure. a, bit a bit of backstory. <laughs> but sure. When I go into what a lot of the idea is, sort of uh, recently has been new new signings or contract renewals mm. uh, players. So I do a lot of looking at the, the bit of the backstory, uh, the number of I don't know titles, the number of caps, the number of is is there any kind of process that you have aside from just being a fanatic that you prepare for such an event? Um, yeah, I hadn't really, wouldn't really say necessarily a, a process as, to, as such, uh, just because I mean some of the times it can literally be told about these player signings, for example, at very short notice, um, so it doesn't really necessarily give you all that much time to do that much research. Um, obviously, you know there's. With masses, masses amounts uh, of information on the internet, which is uh, certainly very handy. But um, I'd say you really need, you know, you really need that that sort of knowledge, um, you know, to, to have that knowledge really at hand. And I mean, as as sort of Stuart, you you were asking before about sort of in terms of terminology and things. I, I think really it's not the sort of thing that you can learn, you know, just off the cuff, really. Um, and it's certainly something that you have to have, you know, quite a quite a sort of you know um quite a sound knowledge of really um i mean as i mentioned being sort of really a football fan all of my life so i suppose i've got quite a bit of passive knowledge um you know uh, might sound a bit silly but sort of watching years and years of match of the day and you know the analysis and things and things like that it's all it's all hopefully uh, coming in coming in handy now <laughs> good so you've had that practice for your job being a being a lifelong football fan so mm. at what point when you Maybe I don't know found out you had a talent for language at school or university. Do you think I know I'll put my ta passion for football and languages into a career, or is it one of the sort of things you just you just fell into? Um, yeah, no, certainly it was. Um, it was. I suppose it was really when I finished my degree that uh, I wasn't really perhaps like you know quite quite a lot of people. I suppose wasn't really exactly sure in the direction that I wanted to take. Um, I did perhaps for language graduates quite quite a common one. I did some um, teaching teaching of English abroad, uh, so uh, teaching English as a foreign language. Uh, did that for a while, but didn't really find that all all that necessary fulfilling, um, really. That's, and that's how I got to Spain as well. 
Right. Okay, yeah. I, 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 similar thing. I did it for a couple of years and I was like, I, I can't be dealing with this. Like, <laughs> sure. It just wasn't for me. Sure. Yeah, I think it's probably it's probably quite a good way to to sort of, you know, get yourself established, uh, certainly in a foreign country and then perhaps use it, you know, as a bit of a stepping stepping stone, really. Um, but um, but yeah, so I did that sort of for a couple of years and then really realised that I wanted to make more of my language skills. Obviously, living in a foreign country, I was using the languages on a daily basis, but wasn't really using them on a in a in a sort of a professional capacity. Um, so that was something that I was really keen to do. Um, and yeah, this I, I just sort of really, I suppose, stumbled across really this, you know, this need for language speakers and linguists within the football industry. Um, and and yeah, I was fortunate enough to get um, to get a bit of a break. Really, um, I think I, um, I actually sort of get, go back to the I think one of the previous uh, editions that you did with with Tom Carter, uh, where he sort of talked about bit one of the big takeaways there. I think was about being persistent, really. Um, and um, I think I was probably quite persistent in sending emails and badgering people. Um, and that finally sort of, um, I suppose that finally gave me a little bit of a, a little bit of a break. Um, and certainly, one of the things I would say in terms of the football industry is that, with it being probably quite a, a peculiar industry in many ways, once you're sort of in, um, you know, it's easier then to sort of, to sort of, you know, move on to other jobs and, you know, find out about other opportunities and things really. So that's uh, two guests now that have told us that. Badgering <laughs> football teams is the way to get into the industry. Well, yeah, we're, we're here to educate, so yeah, that's, that's the best way. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Though. I think that's um, I, I, we have quite a few listeners, or you know, I've been uh, in contact with people that have said, "Oh, I, I listen," or I, "I get my students to listen," because mm. it's it's you know it's it's useful, and and you're talking to people that are in the industry. And it's great to hear how they got into the industry because you know if you're a sports journalist student, or or maybe you're a languages student. Mm. And and you're you're considering a career in sport media, then it's it's great to hear these stories of how how people got that. Can I uh, press you a little bit further and and say you know what what was your approach in badgering these clubs? um yeah i mean i suppose one thing i would say is that you know everyone you know quite a lot of people would see working in football and you know and, and having the being able to combine these language skills with working in football is, is a bit of a dream opportunity really which means that it is sort of you know massively competitive and probably you know these agencies clubs etc probably receive you know absolutely inundated with uh, emails and things so i think it's really a case of sort of standing out um so I guess the next question would be, well, how, how, how exactly do you stand out? Um, I think probably my approach, um, this was perhaps back in the day when people still sort of picked the telephone up and things like that. Um, so my approach was probably to sort of try and get people from all angles, sort of, you know, send an initial email um, and then sort of follow it up with a, with a telephone call. Um, one thing I would say as well um, that I did try and do was build up a little bit of portfolio of my own work, um, which I sort of wasn't wasn't getting paid for. Um, it was just something something that I'd done. It was work that was getting published. I was just doing it for a website. Um, so, I mean, I suppose that in a way, at least, you know, to prospective employers, it was at least being able to say, well, you know, I've got some work to show you. That's um yeah, there's some parallels there, certainly with what Tom was saying. If you've not heard that episode, do go back and listen to episode eight, which was with with Tom Carter, who's worked at some of the biggest clubs uh, in Europe. Um, 
So, so yeah, I think you, we're, we're hearing it twice. It, it can't be a coincidence, you know? <laughs> so one of three, Tom's the takeaways is that he he was persistent only with Barcelona and, and, and PSG. So was your approach also target the top clubs or the top clubs you supported and work down? Or was it just every lead and you could find within Spain you were sending your, your resume or your portfolio to? Yeah, um, yeah, I suppose it was really um, a case of sort of casting my, my, my net quite wide, really. Um, but then I suppose you do find that the, you know, obviously a lot of clubs involved in football, a lot of organisations, but football, you know, is essentially quite a small, um, you know, a small community in a way. So I suppose... Um, in a way, what once I sort of got in with one of the contacts, well, then that might perhaps lead to another and and, and things like that, really. But yeah, no, in my case, it wasn't wasn't particularly uh, a case of just sort of targeting one club. It was, you know, um, trying to target sort of various contacts. And what, one of the things I would say is that um, quite a lot of the football work, even today, really, quite a lot of the football work that I get is is sort of through agencies. Um, so I know Tom had sort of mentioned perhaps going directly, you know, going, going directly to the clubs, which is obviously, you know, another way of, do, of doing things. Um, obviously, you know, targeting agencies who who clearly themselves have have you know already established the contacts is uh, is another another sort of route I guess. Yeah. So these are the the agents of the players or translation and interpreter agencies, which, which sort of or, or or both. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, yeah, a, a, a agencies really, yeah, agencies as in um, so yeah, within the world of football, there are some sort of bespoke um, agencies who work you know, exclusively really within the world of football. Um, and then there would be the more general sort of translation, interpreting or localization sort of agencies really who who may also do, you know, one of their areas of work may be uh, maybe sports, football, etc. In uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll redirect people again to Tom's episode with Tom Carter, episode <laughs> you mentioned at least Sorry. two agencies in there. So if you, you know, if there's, if there's any doubt, then, then there's a good starting point perhaps there. Um, so that's, that's interesting. So you studied languages. You then went on to sort of further study beyond a, a degree. You went on to a master's in doing interpreting. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you, you found your way into football. Were there then any other skills you had to learn sort of from a journalistic side of view or, or a media side of sort of point of view, understanding how things work within, I don't know, press conferences or TV interviews, uh, that kind of thing? Um yeah, good question. Not really, not really one I've perhaps considered. Um, yeah, I think that I suppose my my studies had sort of pre- prepared me quite well, really. Um, certainly, doing the MA in interpreting had prepared me quite well. Maybe even for, you know, things like etiquette and things like that. Um, when it, when interpreting, um, the importance of that really. Um, but I'd say generally, really, I suppose my, my degree sort of stood me in quite good stead in terms of you know these um infamous sort of transferable skills that are often they're often they're often referred to really um in terms of you know sort of journalistic skills i suppose you know a translator certainly really needs to needs to be a good writer really um so that is essentially something that over time i've looked to look to try and hone really uh, mainly really through through practice and sort of further study and and again really it comes back to sort of reading and and being well informed really about the the sort of specialist topic area really so you went uh, to Spain then sorry after your after your degree and after the, the masters 
Uh, but what we've uh, when we were doing our, our research on you, Ronan, we, we saw your pieces um, where you were Pepe Mel's interpreter, a, a name mm. from the past at, at West Brom. So did he did were you part of his backroom staff almost? Did he fly you over or how, how was your career path? You went from contacting agencies in Spain to ending up at the Hawthorns. How, how did you what happened in between sort of? Yeah, sure. Um, so that actually, um, that was something that came up, um, that, that sort of gig, as it were, came up uh, when I was actually in the process of studying the uh, studying for my master's. So the master's I did down in London um, and this came up, I think Mel was interpreted in the, uh, sorry, was appointed, sorry, uh, in the in the January. Um, and I got a call from one of the agencies who who knew that I was sort of based in the West Midlands, although I was actually down down in London at the time. But my, um, you know, where, where I'm sort of uh, where I'm from is really is the West Midlands. So uh, I was asked if I'd be interested in, you know, in, in the opportunity. Um, and it was one one that I obviously obviously jumped at. I mean, it was uh, you know, anyone who's sort of done a, 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 any sort of masters, I guess, but the, the masters in interpreting, which is a one-year course, is is quite sort of quite an intense year. Um, so if you throw in, you know, having to travel around the country, remember sort of long away days to Norwich, for example, that uh, comes to mind. Um, you know, throwing all of that travelling in was uh, was quite demanding, but yeah, it was certainly certainly a great uh, a great year. Were you travelling sort of with the team on the team coach, as it were, or? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. Well, that I think that only happened when we uh, when we caught a, a flight, which is, of course, that's been been in the news uh, recently. Teams catching flights in the UK. Um, <laughs> um, I think we were Sunderland away. I think um, so. That was that was one that the team flew to, and yeah, did did travel with the uh, on the on the flight with the team there. But no, other than that, it was either travelling sort of with the media guys, uh, so from the clubs. Uh, sort of uh, media department or, or or a case of just making uh, making my own way there yeah <laughs> so it was just the um the, the mainly the press conference on a match days you're working with West Brom you weren't on the on the training ground was that someone else doing it or it was just in front of the public facing media that you needed the the interpreter yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. So in my case, it was just the um, the, sort of the pre-match press conferences and, and, and then the post-match press conferences. So in Albion's case, uh, I seem to remember that was on they were on Thursdays, the pre-match uh, press conferences. So those were there at the uh, at the training ground. Um, so that's a you know typical sort of standard uh, pre-match press conference. Usually lasts about sort of an hour and a half or so. Um, and then yeah, the on match days were the the, you know, the flat, typical sort of flash interviews um, pre-match, and then the the post-match um, press conference as well. Um, in terms of the training ground, it wasn't um, wasn't really needed on the training ground. There was someone. Uh, I know you asked before about sort of backroom staff. There was someone within sort of Albion's uh, existing backroom staff who uh, who had some Spanish, uh, and also Pepe Mel ended up bringing. Um, he brought a, a fitness coach over who had had quite quite a good command of English. So uh, so yeah. But again, I think um, sort of when, whenever I'm sort of asked that question, whether or not I had to you know get my dust my boots off and uh, and get out on the training pitch, I think. Probably football's, you know, quite quite a universal language. Um, so I know certainly that some interpreters have been used, you know, out on the training pitch. But, you know, I suppose essentially maybe, you know, you could say, you know, all football drills are pretty much the same or, you know, the players are, are quite savvy in terms of what sort of what sort of things they'll be asked to do. Um, plus, there, there were also some members of that Albion squad 
who uh, who were Spanish speakers and had been sort of in England for, you know, had, had been in England for 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 a good few years, I think. So, I'm going to ask a question, and maybe this will lead you from um, working working there with with Pepe Mal and then and onto where you ended up next. But in a gig like that, in a job like that, mm. you're almost kind of limited in, into the success of that person that you're interpreting. Right. So I, I'm kind of in the fortunate position where I'm in Spain translating to English and there's no shortage of Spanish speakers here in La Liga. Um, but obviously in, in England, there's there's perhaps, uh, I don't know, a limited capacity. I mean, uh, Pep Guardiola, for example, has got quite a good command of English these days. Um, so so it's the first name that comes to mind. But, you know, there, there are French or Spanish uh, players or managers that, that come to the UK and and they'll need an interpreter for that period. But depending on their trajectory, where they end up, it, could that kind of force you to change clubs down the line? Or what, how does that kind of fit in with the, the lifestyle, as it were, for, for this profession? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's a really good question. Yeah, no, unfortunately. And obviously, uh, we all know, you know, the nature of football is all uh, is all very much results, uh, results driven. Um, so in this case, yeah, my, my stint at, at West Bromwich Albion, unfortunately, didn't last uh, all that long. Uh, as I mentioned, I think he came in in the January and uh, sort of um, the club, uh, the club and himself sort of parted ways, as it were, I think, in uh, in, in, in the May time at, at the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, obviously, once uh, once Pepe Mel was no longer at West Bromwich Albion, well, uh, I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid Ronan Malt wasn't either, really, um, because it was, you know, sort of a predominantly um, English speaking squad, etc. So there was no no real need, you know, for uh, for an interpreter there. So, no, definitely. Um, and as you, as you mentioned, yeah, um, some players and managers perhaps already come over with a good command. Um, so that's that's perhaps why sort of what I mentioned at the start about my my work being perhaps more heavily centered on the written on on translation um as opposed to interpreting because I mean interpreting okay opportunities and things do come up but there's perhaps not that you know not that same um, not that same demand really um, or not that sort of reliability of work I suppose so for the, the trans translations uh, on on the, the website now so yeah I appreciate as as sort of a strange position that with um Pepe Mel, he was unfortunately on on the pitch unsuccessful. So that was nothing. It wasn't your ability. It was just the way the way things working in football. So, what sort of tricks or tips do you would you give to again our listeners to keep working as a freelancer as a translation, where maybe it would be judged on if the content's always there. So how do you sort of either keep on top of your game, or is it just do lots of it and keep your portfolio and you uh, up to date? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I'd say, you know, it's uh, as I sort of mentioned a little bit before, once you're in football, um, and again, I, th I think sort of other clubs and other employers probably value previous experience within football. Um, sort of mentioned briefly before about football being quite a peculiar industry. Um, obviously, as well, people who work in football are quite a lot of demands uh, on people in terms of confidentiality and things. So if you've shown an ability in the past, to be able to sort of operate within the industry, and I think it bodes quite well, really, you know, for 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 sort of your your ability to do do so again, really. Um, but yeah, I suppose um, you know, yeah, it is just a case of you know always keeping yourself um, in tune, really, with 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 what's going on in the world of football, um, and and also again keeping an eye up, really, for for for, for any sort of opportunities. Um, so. 
that that sort of leads me perhaps nicely into where I where I sort of moved on next. Um, so after after that time um, with Pepe Mel, as we mentioned, came to an end. Um, a a role came up actually at Sunderland, um, who who at the time obviously quite quite the fall from grace there unfortunately um but um but who who at the time were were in the premier league um and uh, gus poyet was a manager uh, in charge at the time so obviously a, a uruguayan and his sort of transfer policy seemed to be centered slightly on um south american imports um so there was a need there for um for a you know somebody with with the ability to speak foreign languages particularly in this case um a spanish spanish speaker um so that role was slightly different really uh from the one i'd be doing doing with that i'd been doing with pepe mel at west brom uh in the sense that it was a bit more um it was a bit more sort of related to the player care side of things which is obviously you know is an area of the game which has really exploded now um, and certainly is very, very much, uh, very sort of fashionable, really, um, at the at the moment. Yeah. Do you want to just expand a little bit on on that role? What what that means for for, for the uninitiated that that maybe not heard of the yeah. player care and how languages come into that? Yeah, sure, certainly. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the, I suppose this whole idea really of of sort of player care. Um, is essentially all about um, you know clubs really appointing people to take care of things uh, really on, on the players' behalf off the pitch, in order to ensure that the players can be you know 100% focused and really uh, perform on the pitch. Uh, I suppose it's based on this whole idea that you know football and you know sport generally we're talking about fine margins often um so any sort of small slight advantages that can be gained uh i.e by ensuring that the player you know that the players sort of off the field affairs are all taken care of then um then you know that's the, the, those advantages certainly certainly worthwhile so i mean when i say off the pitch affairs that's you know, um, Jamie, I'm sure yourself sort of, li- you know, living in a foreign country, have been through all of the things that generally, uh, a f- you know, someone living abroad has to uh, has to sort of overcome, really, um, you know, all of these processes. Or, I mean, indeed, you know, when I came back myself from Spain, coming back to the UK, a lot of the things I had to do, you know, sort of reopen bank accounts, uh, you know, look, first of all, for accommodation, um, you know, all of, all of these sort of daily tasks um that that we all have to do so in this case that was that i was sort of a little bit of the uh, the the point of call really i suppose for these foreign players who were coming into the uk and to help them sort of you know get set up really and uh and feel feel comfortable really yeah yeah stuart Stuart knows that as well Uh, i'll use that as an opportunity stuart's in germany ah sorry Uh, (laughs) no no no, no, no. it's it's interesting that all three of us at some point another of uh have been in, living in another country and and we've had quite a few uh, guests actually on the podcast from from all over europe so it's it's been a bit, bit it's slightly like it's not quite been a full brits abroad podcast but it has been yeah we, we, we it's been some either like like yourself ronan you've you've been out there then came back and then been been the advisor on the on the, the transition period so i guess you were a regular at the sunderland high street i don't know nat west or something opening bank accounts for all these sure. south american footballers that that sort of thing i i think sure exactly yeah which um sort of to to go back on one of the things you mentioned before actually in terms of terminology um you know obviously having lived abroad myself and things and you know having open bank accounts in in sort of spanish-speaking countries and things i was fortunately i was sort of quite a fay but um you know it was always good to sort of recycle 
recycle that sort of language you know current account things like that you know <laughs> those sort of that the, those sort of bits of uh, bits of the vocabulary yeah if you if you've been able to deal with the bureaucracy in spain then then dealing with it in <laughs> sunderland must have been a piece of cake <laughs> very very true yeah we've had a kind of um use of languages sort of for press conferences uh, on on screen but but you know the audio the the interpretation for press conferences on tv or flash interviews and then sort of off screen but dealing with the you know the, the varial personal affairs or the various um other things that, that, that people may want an interpreter for you mentioned as well doing kind of web and social media work mm-hmm. can you kind of expand on uh, on that a little bit and talk about the the kind of work that you do there is it is it just basic translation or is there kind of a little bit more involved um yeah sure so uh if I start first perhaps with sort of the 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 web content um so in terms of the actual sort of content itself it can be quite varied um, so it could be um, so sort of in the case of working for football clubs, I mean, probably um, the most obvious examples might be sort of the more what I'd sort of call sort of real sort of nitty gritty of football material. So we're talking here about perhaps, um, you know, stories about the team's training session. So what exactly the, the training session involved, um, you know, that might sound quite mundane, but obviously, you know, there are fans who, you know, value, you know, genuinely do sort of value value that information, really. Um, and then, you know, typical match previews, uh, again, um, written translation of, uh, of press conferences, uh, for example. So that's really sort of the more football content. Um, but then obviously, there's got to be an awareness as well that you know football clubs are operating um, really essentially, I suppose, within within the sports business. Um, so that means that there's a lot of other content, be it sort of you know the work that maybe a club's foundation does. Um, so again, the ability there to wouldn't perhaps so much there be looking for you know essentially a football translator but perhaps a more general translator who's who's able to you know translate that sort of um that sort of that sort of content really um so yeah the the web content can really be quite uh, quite varied um in terms of the social media content um obviously that throws up you know a lot a lot of different challenges um some of the work that I've done on that has been um, sort of live tweeting, so live tweeting during games, um, which, you know, perhaps the most obvious, um, the most obvious sort of demands that that puts on the translators, really the, the need for speed, as it were. Um, clearly, you know, if we're, I don't know, in the fifth minute of the game and the team scored a goal and the official account is only actually, re, you know, tweeting about that 10 minutes later, it's probably not, uh, probably not, not a great look. Um, so and also that that ability as well to you know with that speed and that I think is where the command of uh, the command of the terminology certainly the football terminology in this case comes in really you've got to you know you've got to have that that terminology um, really at that you know literally at, at, at hand um, so yeah and perhaps one of the other um, interesting challenges maybe of the sort of social some of the social media content that I translate is the fact that really translating in some instances for uh, coaches and players um, so um, I know this this has sort of been in the sports media quite recently uh, I know that Gary Neville sort of come out and, and spoken really um, in sort of no, no uncertain terms about, about his sort of thoughts really on 
um, this whole idea of players not necessarily sort of you know running running their own accounts and things like that. Um, so the challenge there really is as a um, as a translator is, or I suppose the position that I'm put in is to you know produce sort of a translation that um isn't quite as polished as as maybe it might be um which is is quite an interesting challenge for me really because a lot of the clients that i want do want me to actually produce um you know uh, really polished english where uh, which sounds and, and and reads really nicely um whereas some of the clients that i work for on the social media side of things um if i'm supposedly sort of you know acting as the voice of you know x manager y manager um then you know they perhaps wouldn't expect the most them to be using you know the most idiomatic uh, idiomatic of phrases really so you've almost got to in, in your head play put on your hat so this is my player player b from from arsenal he's he went to oxford university this is how he speaks and you got a, a manager from another club who maybe because everyone knows he barely doesn't speak english so you've got to play that role of somebody not <laughs> not speaking english so how Often are these happening at the same time? Are you sat at your laptop with 10 different Twitter accounts open, watching four different matches and live tweeting four games at a row? Or how, how does it work on a, on a match day or on a match weekend? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that, that's certainly another thing I'd say about football. You know, it all it, it, it's all very fast. It's all, you know, and clients often, you know, when do you want it for? Well, you know, that's, that's often not even a question that's worth asking, really, because I think the answer's the answers, um, the answers fairly obvious, really, and, you know, the, the immediacy of things. Um, I, yeah, I should say I don't actually, I'm not really involved myself in necessarily posting, um, although I have done a bit of that in the past, but I'm not really involved myself in sort of you know actually posting on twitter i tend to you know pass the uh sort of you know the translation on to sort of back to the agency as it were and they, they themselves are responsible uh for doing the actual the, the, the actual posting um which i suppose because i suppose i think ultimately they're sort of liaising at their end sort of with with, with the end client as it were um so that's 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 where i suppose i sort of fit into fit into um fit into that process but yeah i mean things i suppose and also by virtue of the fact that kickoff time certainly perhaps on like champions league nights for example um although fortunately now they have got these you know more staggered kickoff times uh, which does help things a little bit um doesn't mean that things are quite you know as congested at that 7:45 time uh, certainly certainly in the uk here um but yeah you know things going on things going on all, all the time in various games can can mean quite a lot of quite a lot of sort of time pressure yeah so just to, um, how can I phrase this? You're dealing with the, the the content of the Twitter feed, for example, but someone else is actually running the account. So so you kind of work with the community manager or, or the community manager via the agency, for example. Okay, so that, that's quite interesting. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think the, moving kind of um, away from kind of your experience of doing it and now a bit of opinion, from your experience of doing it, I guess, is, is the need for clubs to to tweet in so many languages or to have content in so many languages or to expand from their local area and their local fan base? Because this is something that we've seen happening more and more over the last five, ten years, possibly mm. even a bit more beyond that, but but certainly more so uh, in the last decade. And it looks like it's something that's, that's only going to keep growing as 
uh, new markets emerge and new regions emerge and 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 you know there's an opportunity to expand into them i don't yeah. know if i've answered my own question yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah, uh, yeah you're completely right jamie yeah question question answers <laughs> so, so so yeah i mean in, just in terms of the um of the yeah i think as you say it's probably something that we've perhaps been seeing sort of over the past past sort of t- 10 years or so um and yeah i think that you know I, I think the clubs probably initially maybe i don't know started perhaps lay let's say you know twitter accounts in several languages and i think the clubs themselves were perhaps to some extent guided by the response really that the, you know and the sort of the results that they were getting from that um I don't know, perhaps any sort of, you know, sponsorship that they sponsorship deals that they were then able to sort of um, gain through that. Um, But yeah, I think that it's, you know, I don't really see any reason why, you know, things wouldn't continue, wouldn't continue to grow really. And, you know, fortunately, um, you know, as as an English translator in terms of in quite a fortunate position, the English does remain really um you know quite quite proudly to say it quite proud to say it and does remain really the you know the sort of key language i guess really so we've to- spoken ronan a few times on this podcast about uh, twitch and, and tiktok and uh, and new media um so again uh, with these clubs gradually opening more and more twitter accounts in these lang in different languages so twitch and tiktok might be next or they might already be there already um for, for someone in, in in your job have you already worked on these platforms or are you sharpening up some skills so that you're able to work on these platforms as and when they're available in the different languages um yeah no i can't say i actually actually have sort of ventured ventured into those uh, into those sort of new the new platforms um my work at the moment has really tended to be on I suppose what we could call the more, more traditional sort of twitter uh facebook instagram um sort of platforms but no certainly i think that you know be a case of sort of moving with the times and um yeah and I'm, i mean i'm sure i mean each of the platforms really i suppose you know comes with their own challenges um and i'm sure that yeah it, it perhaps won't be a long time before i'm asked to work in you know work, work with some of those platforms i mean to expand a little bit on on some of the challenges i mean one of the this is going back a few years ago now obviously twitter had you know um these sort of fairly tight restrictions on characters and things which over time i seem to recall were uh, sort of relaxed a little bit and although there obviously are, are still restrictions in place now but that's um sometimes quite quite sort of one of the challenges or one of the things that i have to take into consideration Consideration when when translating, uh, with a view to trying to sort of limit that sort of back and forth between um, sort of my client, you know, um, you know, just trying to make them make the process as smooth as smooth as possible, really. Yeah, that's uh, one of the challenges I found of the kind of the simultaneous translation is that the the social media managers want you to keep your translation as brief as possible, <laughs> so that they can clip it, so that they can clip the full. You know the full clip of whoever is speaking with your translation, and then they end speaking, you end speaking, and they feel like yeah, it's a nice clean clip to go on Twitter or whatever. And it's like, well, so that's not how it works. You know, there's like a delay in what he said. I have to wait for him to finish what he's saying, so before I can say it. Sure. Um, yeah. Fortunately, it doesn't. It doesn't always. It's not always nice and nice and neat like that. No. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's really not. Um, what are the changes that you see? We're we're talking about new platforms now. We're talking about uh you know new media and uh, what are the changes that you've seen in your time as a as a translator interpreter 
Mm. Um, yeah, I think probably um, probably perhaps often one of the changes that I myself was perhaps expected to see, but it just doesn't seem to have quite sort of come along as yet. And that's, uh, I suppose, on, with all of this focus on social media, I've quite often been expecting perhaps web content to be reduced and things, you know, and perhaps not to have so much work on the web content side of things. But, you know, I think the web content seems to be, you know, standing firm and, uh, and, and you know, continues continues to be a feature, really. Um, obviously, there has been, you know, this move to more digital content, certainly more video content, things like that. Um, so, I mean, I suppose in that sense, one of the changes that perhaps have seen as, you know, more requests, maybe, you know, for subtitling of, of, of videos, um, you know, which I suppose is all linked ultimately to this, um, you know, this need for immediacy, really, and perhaps, perhaps even users sort of attention span, I guess, really, you know, who, uh, I suppose you could ask the question, who's going to sort of read this web content, you know, maybe a thousand words press conference has been translated. I mean, you know, there obviously will be people who do read it, but, you know, is it perhaps not more accessible, more attractive uh, to perhaps be using, you know, different different mediums? So maybe that's a trend that we'll, we'll continue to see, but I'd certainly say that for the time being, you know, the web content uh, is still sort of, um, still sort of very, very much a feature really, yeah. I think that, um, yeah, it's been re really interesting having run, run and like you say, the those a thousand word press conferences that mean football and sports media in general it is so so varied that some people do consume their sport just in a 10 second highlight video others get absolutely everything so um yeah i guess the the main the question is or the the big big theme we've had across our podcast is obviously 21 lessons so i think for your lesson ronan if you'd like to share perhaps you mentioned when you first went to spain uh you were phoning around the clubs what would you advise anybody listening just setting out into spain themselves how would they get into your industry now and how would that differ from how you got into it would you say mm, okay um yeah perhaps well um good question yeah i i think probably when uh, when i i got into the industry um Perhaps LinkedIn wasn't uh, not 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 that I'm wishing to promote LinkedIn or anything, but LinkedIn wasn't around then. So I mean, I think that certainly has um, actually sort of a, a, a case in point with how Jamie and I actually got in touch. But I mean, just the opportunities that LinkedIn gives you in terms of you know being able to reach out, uh, reach out to people. So I think that's that's definitely um, definitely sort of an avenue, you know, an avenue certainly to to explore for someone who's looking to get into the industry. So sort of, you know and trying to use LinkedIn and sort of using LinkedIn as well perhaps in perhaps in the right way or um because you know I think LinkedIn certainly is you know certainly is a tool but perhaps you know bombarding people and being careful as well with the with the sort of the initial contact should I say is probably uh, is probably one of the one of the keys and just the way you just the way you go about that but it's pro probably a topic there for a whole uh, for a whole nother uh, a whole nother podcast I suggest um but um but yeah i think certainly you know the difference in terms of uh, of how things have moved on uh, i think that you know contacts are certainly more accessible um and i think that you know uh, certainly both when i started out was looking to get into the industry and now i think generally um, you know, I think others have mentioned it in previous sort of editions of the podcast that, you know, people are willing, um, you know, as long as you're polite uh, in, in your approach to them, that people are willing and people have got the time, um, you know, to 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 sort of help out others and, 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 and sort of certainly offer advice. Yeah. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna take it from another angle as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna be push you further. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that from a, from a networking and kind of a, a work approach, I think that's a really great lesson. From maybe the language side of things, because that's your your speciality. That's what we've got you on here for. What what could be your lesson there in terms of uh, getting into the sporting industry from language side of things? I often say to uh, sports media students, sport journalism students, you should learn a language. Like if you're going to cover Manchester United and you learn a bit of Portuguese, who's going to be interviewing Ronaldo? Uh, so what would your recommendation there be for anyone that's thinking, ah, oh, maybe I should learn Portuguese so I can interview Ronaldo? Yeah, yeah, sure, definitely. Um, I mean, it, it's it, I mean, in my case, where my work is sort of completely centered on languages. Clearly, you know, without my French and Spanish, I sort of, you know, I literally wouldn't be able to do my job. Um, but certainly, I think there is a lot of value. Perhaps people who who have a slightly different profile and are perhaps sort of primarily journalists, and you know, for whom perhaps, as you mentioned, considering learning a language, uh, I think that would definitely be, you know, something to do because, as you say, you just never do know when you know opportunities are going to uh, are going to come about, and it's always something, you know, it's always something good to have, and and you know, ultimately, you never know what you know one opportunity may lead to another. So you mentioned the case there, perhaps of interviewing Ronaldo, well, that could lead to something else, that could lead to something else, you know. It could be that you know instead of uh, instead of sort of focusing purely on the journal journalistic stuff, you you then end up sort of moving over more to language stuff. You know, um, it could even even sort of take you take you that far really. So um, so yeah, language is certainly uh, certainly a very useful tool to to have in your in your kit really. Yeah. Good. So I think yeah, Ronan, it's um, as I say, it's been certainly we this episode has almost been it's the spiritual two-parter to, to tom's episode and in, in terms of the uh yeah the, the translation stuff sure. that, that he, he talked about so yeah i mean um i think jamie's my first time asking this question where, where can we find you Ronan? do you did you have twitter or, or any <laughs> linkedin or, or websites you want to pub um you want to push to the people listening yeah, sure. So I'm on um, I'm I'm on LinkedIn really, which um, is I should probably actually use use LinkedIn more than I uh, sort of struggle to seem to sort of find the, find the time to get on there really. But um, but yeah, Ronan Ronan Malt uh, on on LinkedIn. So yeah, be happy to sort of I don't know uh, connect connect with people if people are people are interested to ask ask any further questions or uh, or whatever. Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been really interesting. Uh, yeah, sure. Certainly. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, yeah like Stuart says, a bit of a con continuation from, from the previous episode with Tom, but uh, some nice insights about the different ways that language come into play in, in the world of football. Sure. Yeah. So, Great. Uh, <laughs> so thank you very much again for joining us. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and, and or watching if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, that was lesson 12 of 21 for 21. If you enjoyed it, do like, share, subscribe. Uh, send it to a friend uh, or or if you know someone that speaks language send it send it to them and say hey you should work in football um <laughs> join us next week for episode 13 thanks again all and thanks again rona mull sports social podcast network it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.